Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello there, internet people. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton. I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Wicken, and I'm a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a podcast where we give our completely unnecessary professional opinions on the lives, minds, and relationships of all your favorite movies. Hey, J.D., will there be learning? Uh-huh. Will there be science? A bit of that. Will there be delightfully informal conceptualizations about the minds of non-real people from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Oh, you know there will be, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, We are a podcast. We did it. We have launched. Yep. First two episodes. First two episodes are live. If you're listening to this, hopefully you listen to those too. If not, after this episode, feel free to hop on back. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, welcome back to another gorgeous episode. How are you doing this stunning new year? Great, great. I feel great. It's going to be a great <laughs> year. Everything's going to go perfectly. Yeah. No, Here's but the thing. It's... I am not emotionally equipped to deal with anything other than perfection. So I think Honestly, it should be fine. Yeah, yeah. So if you just, you know, fake it till you make it. America. That, that is... <laughs> I once had someone say to me, I think it may have been my actual therapist, where I was talking about, like, fake it till you make it or whatever. And she said, do you ever think that, like, if you're faking it and it's getting done and you're doing it and you're not being fired, that maybe faking it just is it. And maybe you're, in fact, doing it, even though you think you're not doing it. Faking it kind of is doing it. I think, it, I mean, it's an interesting philosophical question, right? If the, like, net effect is it, does it matter what you're thinking about while you're doing it? What is the mechanism for do? Yeah, does it matter? <laughs> doesn't if, matter. If it, if it is happening. If it is happening, which I thought was really kind of amazing. I mean, that's I sort it. of us in podcasting. Definitely. <laughs> what if we tried this out and then all of a sudden we put these episodes together and it's like, wait a sec. This sounds it's... an awful lot like a podcast. <laughs> exactly. I have picked another another film and you don't know what it is yet. I don't. This is like the actual format that we were going for, which is you choose, a, we alternate who chooses a movie and then the other one guesses. So yeah, I have absolutely no idea. Neither of us have watched it yet, right? 
Well, we may have seen it in the past, right, but we right, haven't but watched like, it. For these purposes, yeah. Correct. This has not been viewed yet for the purposes of discussion. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, uh, it came out in the year 2004. Okay. Good year. Good year. Um, the tagline is, behind every great love is a great story. Is it love actually? No. Let me give you, uh, there, here's some quotes. I'm going to pull a quote from it and see if you get it. All right. Um, I wrote you 365 letters. (laughs) I wrote you every day for a year. It wasn't over. It still isn't over. Oh no, it's the notebook. Yes. <laughs> it's the notebook. You know what's actually really embarrassing because I was fully obsessed with that movie because I was, what, 17 when the notebook came out? Peak mm-hmm. audience, like just uh-huh. complete target audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a really funny story about that. But uh, yeah, that I knew that tagline. I had a poster of it in my bedroom that said that and so I'm embarrassed that I didn't recognize it right away um tell me the story of you with the notebook (laughs) when I I saw it in the movie theater with like two of my high school friends one of them had like an actual boyfriend and I was like sort of hanging out with this guy but like it wasn't it was like I don't know pre pre pre-dating really it was just like we sat together in lunch one time um and she like called him afterwards and like, we were in the parking lot, and she was like, oh, hey. You know, we were all, like, lovey or whatever. And I, like, called the guy that I had been hanging out with. And I was like, I just saw the notebook. And he was like, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. Uh, my life is not the notebook. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good rejection. Yeah, it was, I was like... It was so funny, I wasn't even embarrassed. Behind every great love is a great <laughs> shutdown. It's a great new phone who dis. It's a great new phone who dis. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah. I mean, that's That's terrible. high school for me, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I saw this movie until college. And I think I've only seen it one time. Oh, I've seen it way more than that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I wanted to go with a movie that our audience doesn't necessarily have to have watched to to get. But also, we did a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. We did a romantic musical. Mm-hmm. So now I just feel like, let's talk about relationships in just a straight-up romance. Yeah. Middle-of-the-road genre romance film. Not a comedy, certainly. Um, and there's a lot to talk about, There's a I lot. Think. I think this is a great choice. I There's some, like... I guess non psychology things about like the the huge question over choosing Lon or Ryan Gosling. Uh, I mean, that's a psychology question. I think. I get. Yeah, it's also a personal question. I feel like you learned a lot about. It. <laughs> I feel like I was always like, choose the rich guy. Like, that's the obvious choice here. <laughs> They're both so hot. It is. It's true. Yeah, and you know, there's also like the end of life. Alzheimer's. There's a lot of stuff. Oh, there. there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of mental health in this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of relationship stuff to talk about. So I'm excited. I'm really excited. Audience, I hope you are excited. So we're going to take a quick little break for hopefully a word from our sponsors, depending on how <laughs> one of these quickly days. One of these this gets days. monetized. 
Oke, okay, bye. Bye. Welcome back. We are back. We are back. We are still not monetized, so we still don't have ads unless you're listening to us deeply in the future. So, sorry for any confusion. Uh, yeah, we don't, we don't have, have ads. ads. We're just aspirational. We're adspirational. <laughs> We're aspiring podcasters. Exactly. Uh, hello. What did you think of this movie? Oh, my God. <laughs> How so, was the rewatch? So, I, haven't, I have not seen this movie in over 10 years but prior to that I saw this movie like only this movie basically like I've seen this movie a hundred times it was an integral part of my yeah like late high school early college experience I'm still laughing Um, about your nightmarish phone call to your (laughs) to your boyfriend at the time or like guy you were hanging out with euphemism Uh, at the time yeah it's perfect so yeah that's like about how uh, how this movie mapped onto my early romantic life. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I I watched this movie. It did not hold up in so many ways. I, like Wow. I had only seen it once. And... I hated it until <laughs> I was... And then I found myself, like, open mouth sobbing. <laughs> so it was just, like, <laughs> real, uh, real extreme. Yes, I literally... I mean, to, to those listening, I sent Joanna a voice memo after this being like... <laughs> What the hell? I hated this movie, and yet I'm weeping. And yet I am weeping at the end. I will say my memory of the end was different than how it actually ends. Because it... No, no, no. It's wrong. Because I looked it up, and I was so... Did you watch it on HBO? Yeah. I was so livid because I was like, this is not how it ends because I know how it ends. And I looked it up and they changed the ending for some reason. Um, They did it first overseas when it was in Netflix, like UK or something. They changed the ending. So the way that it is supposed to end, because then I went to YouTube and confirmed because I saw the original ending, is they die in each other's arms. That's what I thought. And yes, and the nurse comes in the next day and sees them and and that's how it ends. It's literally five more seconds. But for some reason, they edited that out, which I don't... I, I think it's actually sadder it's so much to, to not have them die. Is that dark? Yeah, it's just like so unsatisfying. I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense at all to me. And I was... Uh, the internet was also very angry about that when I was Googling it. So you're not alone in thinking that it ended weirdly. It It seems like darker to have them just locked in this... It do- perpetual it cycle sense. of sadness. It doesn't make any sense. It makes me... I was real mad. Okay. That's so interesting. I did not yeah. have the wherewithal. Well, I'd have only seen it once. Yeah. So I wasn't... It, it. I didn't have enough conviction to say, no, no, this is wrong, Nicholas Sparks. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you really are the resident Sparksian scholar. Yes, Totally. It, I've only written a few papers on him. But, yeah, well, you've only yeah. published they a few well papers. Received, you've, yeah. you've written dozens. They were well received. <laughs> but only a few have made it to... I think that's called fan fiction. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> but it's the fan part that counts, you know? that's Exactly. That's all. Exactly. Um, my Well, you know, my experience of this movie, I, I gotta say, like, I, 
upon rewatching it, it's really interesting because I think the last few years have just awakened so much of all of us into really like just interrogating what the hell am I seeing and what the Mm -hmm. hell does it mean? Mm-hmm. And so I was unsurprisingly really struck by how stalkery and misogynistic this romantic sort of courtship is. Yes. I think that's going to be a fun theme for us as we kind of re- like go back and then watch current movies. But like the older movies, I just feel like there's there's no way we can't see it through today's lens. It, right? it is so rape culture. Like, like truly. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, it's emotional abuse, like threatening... Suicide is a is part yes. of emotional abuse. Well, and and just the very from the very from jump, she is with someone else. He tells her he likes her. She rejects him, and he refuses to take no for an answer. I mean, creepily too. Like he was in her face, in like, her face, like violating her personal space. Yeah, jumps into the from, thing to sit next to her. Yeah. This is, this is. I mean. It, it's the, it's the, the, the thing is like anybody who's ever had to take like a big, like HR sexual harassment seminar knows that harassment is in the eye of the recipient. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what he is doing does not end up being harassment because whoop de doo he does it enough that she likes him. But this lesson... Eventually. I mean, she was also pretty clear early on that she was not into it. Very clear. Absolutely says no. And then her friend, like, tricked her into going on a date with him. Yes. And she was not happy about that. No. And then somehow, somehow, throughout this movie... He lays in traffic, and that really really gets her... (laughs) I mean, it's so weird. Like, the ways in which he gaslights her at the whole beginning Mm -hmm. about, like, her saying... Even just, like, you're laying in the street, and he's like do you always do what people tell you? And it's like, wait a minute, this is uh, a catch-22 here. Because the only way for her to not yes. do what other people tell her is to do what you tell her. And that's exactly. the solution is for you to listen to her? like, Or for her to listen that to also, you? Yeah, that jumped out at me as well. It's Literally the, the lay flip, down though. in traffic for me. <laughs> yeah. That's supposed to be love. I, I just don't even understand the, the flip. Like, it was in that, somehow in that movie that she decided she was into him. Because then when they left the movie, like, going into the movie theater, mm-hmm. she was not happy with her friend. The friend and E from Entourage making out. And then he goes and sits next to her. Somehow, some kind of moment happens. Because after the movie, oh, he was he's like, entourage. oh, do you want to, do you want to, yeah, yeah. That's- How gay am I? I literally <laughs> am like, he's Connelly. that guy and he's just not that into you. <laughs> <laughs> he is in that. He yeah, is he's in that. that. I'm so gay. Anyways, <laughs> Anyways um, after the movie, they come out and he's like, "Oh, want to go for a walk?" And she's like, "Yeah." Like, what? What happened within that movie? Uh, he came over and sat next to her while their friends were making out. Exactly. That's it. It it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Uh. I mean, let's. Why don't we tra- transition a little bit into some of this uh, this research and some me search really on this? So I I was really intrigued by the the choice between Lon and Noah mm. as a question of who is the right pick because interestingly there. It's not a it's not a typical movie choice between 
the good guy and the secret asshole who's been like pretending yeah, to be, exactly. who's been manipulating, but like keeps, you know, conniving their way, right? right Where you've got your right. protagonist and your antagonist. It's not that. Right. It's so much more complicated where it's like, actually, she has two men who really love her, it seems. And who she seems like she loves both of them, like different parts of herself loves yeah. both of them. I mean, James Marsden in this movie. Young. And rich. <laughs> I know. She goes Although, off. Yeah. Sleeps with this other guy. He comes back and he's like, listen, I love you. I'm still in. So, okay, so I have a lot of thoughts about this that I want to get your opinion on because I wasn't able to find enough supporting research, but there is something that I noticed between Allie's father and Lon in terms of the, like, intersection of class, um, gender, and the expression of anger. Joanna, that's exactly what I researched. <laughs> okay, because so I, I could not find all three. I found, like... You know, men are more likely to express anger than women. I found that people of low socioeconomic status are more likely to express anger than people of higher socioeconomic status. But I wasn't able to find something with all three. Okay. So I weirdly found one paper okay. that has all three. Was it the math, a, a master's thesis? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, it's a, okay, okay, it's, okay. That's what I found. It's a study. From uh, the Psychology of Men and Masculinity, a journal. Okay. Uh, so this study is um, from Aaron Rocklin and James Malik. Mahalik. Okay. Uh, and so the study is called, uh, the, the paper that they published on it is called Women's Perceptions of Male Partners' Gender Role Conflict as Predictors of Psychological Well-Being and Relationship Satisfaction. Okay. So... Kind of exactly what you're talking about. Gender role conflict, um, for those who are not familiar with with gender theory, which, like, also, welcome. You're going to get a lot of gender theory, I think, with us, just because um, we're both devout uh, misogynists. And we love to, you know, put <laughs> those, those man-hating women uh, on blast. Just kidding! Uh, no, so uh, what gender role conflict is, it usually is referring to, uh, in this paper, it's referring to men's gender role conflict, which is, which is okay. defined as a psychological state in which restrictive definitions of masculinity limit men's well-being and human potential. How does that uh, compare with the term toxic masculinity? Is it So they are, kind they of are dovetailing, right? So okay. toxic okay. masculinity is the culture in which the idea that a man must be masculine, right? So the ways mm. in which gender role conflict is sort of um, doubled down on, right? The idea that okay. these strict male gender roles must be adhered to. And so gender role conflict, which is what occurs due to to toxic masculinity, gender okay. role conflict is what causes all different kinds of emotional distress. It gotcha. can cause okay. emotional distress in lots of ways. This is uh, internalized homophobia, depression, anxiety, anger, all sorts of uh, distancing, isolation, right? It is all the things that are basically saying when who you are does not meet the masculine expectation, you feel bad yeah. in one way or another. And so this is not to say not being masculine makes people feel bad. This is to say that not meeting the social expectation of what masculinity is 
makes people feel bad unless they have resolved their gender role conflict. So myself, gotcha. devout homosexual, uh, <laughs> very, very gay, right? The, the lots of the, the ways that this would have shown up in my life is like if somebody said like, hey, your voice sounds gay. It was a lot of years before I was able to hear that and be like, yeah, that's because I'm gay. Mm. But for a long time, right, this gender role conflict in me was like, oh, no, that's that's bad. Right. Seeming, right. seeming gay is bad, right? I mean, it also sounds like it was reflected at you by the judgment of the of person course, saying Of course, of course. We right? are yeah. all living in it, right? Men, yeah, women, yeah. like the toxic masculinity is reinforced by women, is reinforced by men, is reinforced mm-hmm. by non-binary folks, reinforced mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, so this, this paper, what it's essentially looking at is different kinds of gender role conflict in men. And so they identified four patterns of this, uh, gender role conflict. So one is in the domain of success, power, and competition. So this is sort of where that financial piece comes in, the socioeconomic status, restrictive emotionality. Mm-hmm. restrictive affectionate behavior between uh, mm-hmm. behavior patterns between men and okay. the conflict between work and family. And okay. so historically, lots of these studies have found b- basically that gender role conflict has negative consequences for men. Um, it shows that it's related to general psychological distress, but also specific psychological problems, greater rates of depression, greater rates of anxiety, lower self-esteem, heightened levels of stress, higher rates of alcohol, substance use, and career problems. So it's Mm. all domains uh, is where this stuff shows up. So this study, what they did is they took 175 male or female participants who had male partners and did a study observing both the men and then the women's uh, perception of these men and how this impacts their relationship satisfaction. Gotcha. So in this case, we're looking at Allie. We're looking at how does Allie look at these two men? One of them, mm-hmm. very wealthy, also pretty emotionally contained, right? Not yes. a super volatile person. You've got right. Lon, very, very contained, very rich, very, um, in this case, we're choosing one paper to generalize onto this film. So in this case, very focused on competitive and competition power success because he's very entrenched in the things that Noah does not care about, competition power success. Um, And also has more restrictive emotion, uh, which again, could be yes or no. He's mostly less volatile. So we're going to say that Noah is... Yeah, I wouldn't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to say that Noah... I mean, Noah, there are ways to view Noah's uh, impression of their relationship in terms of we will fight through this, this is how we work. Uh, as not necessarily an unhealthy coping strategy and that he's naming like, I love you and you're worth it. That being said, if you have a relationship all the time there, somebody is gaslighting you into telling you that they treat you badly because they love you. Uh, think about that as a different matter. I mean, so that, yeah. So the Ferris wheel thing that jumped out at me, but also at the end when she, when Lon comes to town and she tells Noah, like he's in town and I, you know, gotta go see him or whatever. He like, throws something or like smashes something like right next to her he literally like becomes violent and that jumped out as yeah. me, at, at me as well of just like this volatility and this uh 
juxtaposition of, of expressing anger. Because he's not expressing other emotions. Like, look at his whole thing with Mar- Martha Shaw. Yeah. Of just, like, that quote, you know, of, like, I have nothing. I am broken. I can't give you what you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just, like, so, rep- like, so emotionally repressed in that way, right? And these non-masculine kind of emotions. But when it comes to these masculine like you know seemingly like okay to express emotions of anger he's like all about it but for me the the difference between those two is is class socioeconomic status there's a difference in how they're expressing that anger so to me it seems like this kind of uh you know intersection of of class and gender. oh yes absolutely the studies are saying that uh, gender role conflict factors were significant predictors of women's depression, anxiety, and satisfaction with the relationship. Hmm. So, uh, so what, what that's really saying, more specifically, that uh, women who experience higher levels of success, power, and competition, so the financial side from their romantic male partners, are more depressed, anxious, and less satisfied. So I kind of view this as like her mom's relationship that she's chosen stability, right? She's chosen this idea of success and power. Um, And women who experience higher levels of restrictive emotionality report less satisfaction in the relationship. Interesting, considering this volatility. I think what this is really coming from, and this is my own sort of uh, expansion on this, I'm wondering if people who, is the higher highs might cancel out these lower lows for some people when looking at this. Like, again, this this study was published in 2004 as well, I should name. Okay. Um, additionally, an individual's restrictive gender roles can have negative consequences on others. Not only do men's rigid or restrictive gender roles appear to contribute negatively to men's well-being, it's re- been reported extensively um, in that women tend to be more depressed, more anxious, dissatisfied with relationships, et cetera. So well, that these, makes sense. Yeah, right. so this, these, these ideas, particularly as, as we look toward, like, um, the, the view sort of is that Noah wants to mutually fight with her or wants to value her opinion in, like, what the house is or those things. I guess that's what we're kind of supposed to see as why he's, like, a good, a good guy. Mm. <laughs> I, right? <laughs> but... Well, mm. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I just... No, I agree. Yeah, like... I don't... Sure. He he doesn't even seemingly have a job besides having a house is his job. I mean, being hot, he <laughs> rows. He rows every day with all of those That's white true. ducks that are feeding, not native to that area. Feeding. That's for sure. <laughs> feeding the ducks. That's like a full-time job, apparently. Feeding them, them ducks. Um, so the most consistent of all the gender conflict dimensions for negative consequences was that women's perceptions of men's preoccupation with success and power and competition. So these results demonstrate a very negative relationship between uh, a focus on success and satisfaction. So wait, okay, sorry. What you're saying is that if a a female partner perceives her her male partner to be more focused on success and And money and status and Uh power, they will be less satisfied with the relationship? That and the people that are the most emotionally restricted. So interestingly, again, this is a little bit of a, mm. of a, of a sort of <laughs> generous viewing of this, but Noah is not focused on power and success, and he is certainly not emotionally restricted. Well, okay, this, that's also, like, 
being not emotionally restricted or being emotionally liberated in anger is not equal to being emotionally liberated and being able to show both sides of that. You know what I mean? Right. I, yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, well, and so what you're naming is a limitation of this paper is yeah, that what yeah. we're not comparing is high expressed emotionality. We're only looking at low and the valence of that emotionality and the valence of that emotionality. Yeah, the, the the essentially saying the direction of does that emotionality tend toward anger or does that emotionality yeah. toward highly expressed joy? Right, like I mean, where, cer- like yeah, certainly like you would assume having more kind of uh, variability in mood would be high. You know like both sides of that, right? They would have high highs, low lows, right? Like really angry, but also really passionate. But Noah just seems like angry or like kind of muted, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think the reason she chooses Noah is because she spent so much time invested in the idea of wanting him without getting to experience it. Yeah. And with Lon, she was able to experience it. And so it became this mystery of this, this heightened... She's coming from the emotion of a 17-year-old who, you know, at the time, was so deeply in love with this man, and then the world took him from her. Yeah. She has been... Completely unresolved, right? Completely she, unresolved. Yeah. And then, not only that, but 10 years later... 10 Seven. Years, seven. Seven years later... The next time she's introduced to him is to see that he did the thing that he talked about in their very last conversation, which is to essentially say, he didn't forget you. Yeah. He didn't forget you. He did the thing he set out to do. Uh, And he looks like Ryan Gosling. I mean, to me, that's like the biggest thing, like why he got away with that horrible behavior is because he looks like Ryan Gosling. I, I mean, that his... His body is crazy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, essentially, I think it becomes this, this thing where she chooses to take this risk. Uh, I think she's able to take that risk because she's beautiful. She's wealthy. And I think she feels like it's, um... I think it's much of a much less of a risk for her. I mean, I don't know what her mother's financial situation was if she married up. Right. But she's already up. So the idea right. to sort of take a step into she doesn't know what it's like to not Exactly. Have. Yeah. Yeah. And her mom trying to explain that to her like she didn't understand because she's never known what it's like to not have anything. Yeah, I mean, it does. I, I just kept hearing, but daddy, I love him from <laughs> Little Mermaid. But no, I think it, it is, I, I think it's this idea. And, and ultimately, because it's a movie uh, written, I mean, let's be real. This is a movie written by a man about what? Four women. <laughs> four women. In, in a very, like mass market for women. It is written for all women, uh, yeah, not yep. to think about, but to emote about. It's also so emotionally uh, effective. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. that that is not by that's accident. Why, that's why you and I can watch this movie being angry and still cry at the end. Absolutely. 
Um, so to go back to Allie, though, this is another thought that I had about why she made the choice that she did is uh, parenting styles and, like, the desire to rebel against the parents, and that's something that's even named by Lon. Yeah, yeah. When he proposes to her, and you you see that she, you know, rebels against them, um, but there's, you know, lots of research about authoritative parenting and, you know, how that can lead children to be more likely to rebel, right? Authoritarian. Authoritarian, yeah. Yeah, authoritarian parenting, which is, uh, for those listening, authoritarian is this, like, ultimate demand and like really high levels of control Mm. over what your children do. Authoritative parenting is firm parenting, but warm and kind and compassionate parenting. Gotcha. So authoritative is I love you and no, that's not going to work. And authoritarian is you shut up, you do what's told to you. I've given you everything. Go to your room. So which one do you think her mom was? Authoritarian. Okay. Literally, I mean, by by actively controlling who she can and can't yeah, that's date. True. Um, especially if she is 17 and she is at an age where, yes, she is young, but the idea of saying, okay, listen, while you're under... Uh, an authoritative approach to this might be, hey, I'm worried about you. The way in which you're staying out late at night, pregnancies happen. There are lots of things that happen. When you're an adult, you can do what you got to do. I will listen to you. I will give you more opportunities to bring him around and to get to know him authoritatively, I'm still not letting you stay out until 2 Mm -hmm. a.m. Authoritarian is what she did, which is trying to fully control her to the extent where she moved her away. Right. And then stole all the letters. Right. Yeah. So why do you think the mom, like, kind of gives that up when she comes back, gives her the letters, tells her where she's coming from, like, all of this stuff? And then lets, and ultimately does let her make the decision that she wants to make. Uh, I think because it's a movie, to be honest, it's such a <laughs> yeah. change of heart. And, right. it's, and I, think, I, I think for that character, it does, I don't know that that would happen in real life. I would imagine that not only that, but I think that mom would be so much more bought into this idea that she should. I, I, I think uh, it would be a really strong hand to play when she's like, he wrote me letters to say he never wrote you once. Right. You can if you've done it for if you've done it for that long, and now he looks like a liar. Right. And say I was I was looking. I was hoping he would say it too. I saw how miserable you were. That would be an emotionally manipulative like yeah. parent. And and yeah. honestly, it would probably be very effective. And I think that mom who did that thing initially would still be the mom who did that thing because now not only is your daughter she is happy. I, at right. this point, I'm really protecting her happiness. Right. Because it's right here in front of me. This is no longer a hypothetical, who could the guy be one day? She's met a great guy. She loves a great guy. Mm-hmm. And he's rich. Yeah. So I actually think that that character change doesn't... Make sense. Make sense. Yeah. And I think yeah. even within the story, I think it does make sense for her to say, look at this guy that I loved. Yeah. Do you see where he is? Right. Do you see where we are? Right. And I think that, that, that she would double down even even more. Mm-hmm. And I think she's in a powerful position to do so, to be honest. I don't think, uh, I don't think emotionally manipulative parents stop emotionally manipulating when your child who is exactly where she wants her to be would uh, yeah, like then she's so change close. course. <laughs> and she comes to her house and she's, you know, naked. Yeah, love that part. I, answering like, the door naked. Like, like, nobody does that. Nobody does that. 
No, you would be and like the mom putting is on like, slippers and jeans yeah. and be like, one minute. Right. The mom's like, oh, go get dressed. Be right there. <laughs> it's always that. It's always somebody being like, oh, I'm just in his shirt. I'm so <laughs> cute. Oh, I'm just carrying this around my my boobs. I just have this giant red fabric around my boobs. I, it's perfect. And then also the mom. Like, also the fact that the mom kept... 365 letters. And they're like literally wrapped with a bow. I would throw, I would be burning them. Yeah. Daily. Yeah. Maybe when I abuse my child emotionally, <laughs> I will burn all of their letters and all Gotta do it right. I don't have children, world. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it turns out well for her. The research says that that might be true, but I do think the research is, is within the context of the, the way in which the world expects these gender roles to be. Mm-hmm. So I do think that, like, there are ways in which Noah is divergent from, like, this gender role conflict because he manages to say, like, I don't care about some of this, like, competitiveness. I don't care about some of these other things. Uh, but... There are also ways in, in which he doesn't seem to have a lot of gender role conflict. So, wait, so, so you're, the paper that you're talking about came out in 2004? Yeah. You said? That's the, and the year based, this movie so the, came out. What? Yeah. <laughs> I just this put that together. So this is reflecting... This is a case study. ...cultural norms, right? Yeah, at the time, I mean, this, certainly. They, they completely... It makes sense that they would be consistent with one another. Nikki Sparks... He read this paper, obviously. He read this paper while it was, I mean, it was published in 2004, so he read it while it was, you know, he read (laughs) probably the early findings from the research. He saw it at a conference, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He went to a poster presentation and was really (laughs) living for it. Um, So there's a second part to this story, though. We've only talked about the then. Yes. What about the now, Joanna? Yes. So this is actually the part that, I got more emotional about now mm. versus when I was younger. I don't know. I was like, hadn't reckoned with my mortality yet or something. I don't know. But now, you know, that this part is so much more You were also 17, by the way, in 2000. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was when Allie's this age. movie came out, you were exactly Allie's age in the beginning. Yeah. Sorry. I so, just realized. Coincidences. <laughs> yeah. Everything Allie did made perfect sense to me. Um, yeah. So the dementia part of this, I thought was really interesting um you know obviously it's a very effective narrative Mm -hmm. tool you know it's like a really beautiful uh way I mean one of the things is like were you ever thinking for one second that James Garner was like not Noah like no I don't know why that was like a reveal yeah like I don't know why that was a reveal whatever but anyways it you know it's like a beautiful thing the the five minutes when you know she remembers like I was like crying so much because it's like you know so sad uh in terms of you know he's with his the love of his life and she's sweetheart when he calls her his sweetheart yeah, that really yeah. killed me yeah uh and she doesn't remember him and he you know doesn't uh relent you know he continues like reading to her every day yeah um so i was thinking about you know the way that this movie portrays dementia and Alzheimer's I think I said in the the post on our social media I was talking about Alzheimer's they never name Alzheimer's specifically they never do they only say senile dementia mm-hmm. um and there's a couple of reasons why that makes sense um 
one of them is that, you know, while there are ways to rule out other forms of dementia, Alzheimer's can't actually be confirmed until uh, post-mortem examination of the brain. Right. There are definitely uh, characteristic symptoms that suggest dementia, and, you know, Alzheimer's uh, accounts for 60 to 80% of all cases of dementia. So, you know, just from a statistical point of view, it's likely that it's Alzheimer's. But there's another way uh, that I really liked that they kind of uh, hint that it is Alzheimer's. And that is the um, part where she's playing the piano. Do you remember that part when he's in with the doctor? And she's playing the piano and she stops for a moment. And uh, James Grant, you know, he's in with the doctor and he's like, oh no, they forgot to turn the page. And then there's a, a, you know, a brief pause. And then she starts playing from memory. Yeah. And so this is something I had heard about, you know, I hadn't like researched uh, deeply before, but something that I heard about is that people with Alzheimer's, like music therapy is kind of a a way to, uh, you know, to to help people or ease, you know, suffering of people with Alzheimer's because there's evidence that they retain uh, memories related to music. Yeah. Even though there's other types of memories that, uh, you know, they have deficits in. So, you know, there's there's several types of memory. I'll, I'll just describe them very briefly. Yeah. But so, you know, dementia primarily affects long-term memory. There's uh, episodic memory, which is like your memories of events and experiences. That's what's really uh, affected with Alzheimer's and dementia. There's semantic memory, which is your understanding of facts and concepts. Mm-hmm. This is also sometimes... Uh, impacted by dementia, and then there's procedural memory, so how to do things. Yeah. So Allie's ability to play the piano is largely unaffected, right? She does. She's mm-hmm. not aware that she knows how to play the piano, but she knows how to do it when she sits down. Yeah. Um, so that that tracks. That's consistent. That makes sense. Um, her we remembering should also name for folks. So long term memory is also anything over thirty seconds, essentially. For yeah, a minute, yeah. Yeah, 30 seconds to yeah, a minute. Yeah, so yeah. just for those listening where you're like, but wait a minute, Should, when I think of people with Alzheimer's, they can't remember whatever just happened. That's because after 30 seconds to a minute, it, it technically is considered long-term memory. So that is one of the main features that we see, even though it seems to us colloquially to be what, what we would consider short-term. Yes, very good point. Uh, yeah, shorter-term memory is like working memory. It's basically whatever you need to keep in mind while you're trying to do something in this mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, um, the, so the, that, when you're trying to mem- remember a phone number because you just saw it and you're trying to write it down. That's your short-term memory. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, so the procedural memory being retained or kind of unaffected makes sense. Um, but yeah, there's this way that Alzheimer's, unlike other forms of dementia, retains some of this like memory for or familiarity with music. There's a study um, by this, uh, this researcher, Jason Warren, at University College London, where he looked at, he did functional brain, uh, functional MRI of people with different types of dementia and mm-hmm. looked at how they responded to different aspects of music. So the, um, they altered like the, the perceptual features of music. So the, the regular, the time, the rhythm mm-hmm. of the music, they also altered the familiarity of the music. Mm-hmm. So how familiar the melodies were to the patients. And they also, throughout this study, repeated some of them. So testing kind of this like memory, their ability to recall things that they had heard in the earlier part of the, the study. So they're testing these different types of uh, 
memories, basically, within this study. And so they saw that people with Alzheimer's, uh, specifically, they, they had difficulty of making sense of the timing, of remembering the music that they heard earlier in the session. Okay. Um, but they didn't have those issues with the familiarity of the music. Whereas people who had different types of uh, dementia, so they looked at people with um, frontotemporal dementia, they also mm-hmm. looked at people with progressive aphasia, they had difficulty with familiarity of those tunes. So there's evidence that specific to Alzheimer's uh, dementia that there's this uh, more greater ability to remember, have familiarity with music and remember music. And there's also evidence that the way that we store memories related to music is different from how we store other memories. Right. Um, and that it may be kind of spared. Uh, so it's the temporal lobe of the brain where a lot of, uh, you know, memories are stored or is responsible for putting together, you know, all the different types of memories to create a memory. There's uh, this really good book by Oliver Sacks where he talks about this patient um, who has uh, herpes encephalitis and he has like a, uh, basically like damage to his medial temporal lobe and he loses any ability to make new memories. He, he loses all uh, his past memories. Uh, he has a 15 second memory essentially, mm. but he is able to play music and he can remember songs while he's playing them. So he can remember whether he like, he can remember, Oh, I've played this song before while he's playing it. And that was retained. So there's, there's, you know, there's also other studies that suggest, you know, memories related to music might have, might be involved in a different area of the brain. There's also, you know, from an evolutionary adaptive perspective, like uh, music is really tied to emotion. Yeah. It's music is very, very moving. There's a very like significant effective component to it. And so it's possible that the strength of that relationship between music memories and the emotion that you uh, that you feel about that music is uh, impacting the way that we're able to remember music. Right. So how it made you feel, not exactly. what it made you hear. Exactly. Or what so, it made you think. Yeah. I really, uh, I yeah, I really love that, and I I like that it was pretty much accurate from how they you know showed it in the movie with the music scene. That one um, thing. Yes. Yeah, it <laughs> was like the one thing, and I just like that went down a thing. rabbit hole with it. But I was, I was, what I wanted to know though is like, okay, they said senile dementia, but I assumed Alzheimer's. Was right. I right in making Which that is, assumption? And I well, think, yeah, I, I mean, can't know for sure, right? Because, you can't know for sure. But the the evidence that they gave us, these small morsels, suggests uh-huh. that it is. So yeah, yeah, no, I I, I agree, and I think uh, just numbers wise as well, it's a pretty safe assumption. Yeah, even um, from the that, ways yeah. in which like a primary progressive aphasia or a frontal temporal dementia or mm-hmm. a vascular dementia like yeah. present are a little bit different and yeah. and um maybe in future movies we'll go through and talk about some of those things. I think the the things about this. So I also I did a year for those listening of uh dementia testing and Alzheimer's testing uh as some of my training and so I worked with a lot of people who were very early on in the stages of either having uh dementia or Alzheimer's or diagnosing people whether or not they had it. I, I often got to tell people that they did not have dementia, which was a really nice yeah, that's thing lovely. <laughs> for me to get to tell people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one of the things that, that really struck me is the way that they portray her essentially mental illness, right? Her, her um, neurodegeneration mm-hmm. is really uh, a very dramatically 
uh, interpreted view in a way that I think some parts of advanced Alzheimer's are way more depressing than yeah. what they're giving us. Yeah. And also some parts are, I think, way less depressing. She either needed to be uh, further along or less far along in different right. points. Because, right. I mean, it, it starts convenient. out, she's in full hair and makeup <laughs> well, and jewelry. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like, she's not just dolled down. She is, she's full glam. She's full glam squad in a way where uh, that is highly unlikely. I mean, she's not, are we supposed to assume that she's doing that herself? I have no idea, but when he's not there to take care of her, she's right. just sitting in a dark, sad wheelchair. So then he's so doing it. I, no idea. Yeah. And, and so that was a big sort of issue with the way they're telling the story. And then also, as we said, right, dementia, the, the main thing we think of with Alzheimer's is you're not able to remember what somebody said to you five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to believe that he tells her a day-long story yeah, and she, and she holds the whole, the whole story all day long. <laughs> Which is like, oh, no, 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 no. And, and so one of the things that's common with the confusion, they do mention when she when sundowning. she comes to and she's clear, yes, yes they mention sundowning. I, yep, What's I, sundowning, Joanna? Okay, so sundowning, uh, it's this phenomenon that happens in uh, people with dementia. It actually occurs in 20% of Alzheimer's yeah. patients. So it's not yes. incredibly common. No. Um, but basically, the reason it's called that is because it tends to coincide with the onset of darkness. Or, But it can also happen like during sleep, during the night. Um, but it's characterized by anxiety, agitation, aggression, uh, you know, resistance, screaming, yelling, hallucinations. Um, and so, yeah, they were illustrating that, all of those yeah. things, essentially. They illustrated that very, very plainly, right? And so with, with a very advanced Alzheimer's, what would be common would be either sort of a a combination of either when somebody says something to you like darling to just go along with it because you're confused and you are trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. or to react against it right right? so you may have those kinds of things so the last thing alzheimer's essentially the impacts the the further back something is in your memory the longer it would take for alzheimer's to um, affect it, right? So mm-hmm. it could be very common for somebody with very advanced Alzheimer's to be able to tell you a story about their childhood mm. because it's so deep in there. It's so encoded and, and deep in their memory, mm-hmm. but uh, not be able to tell you what they had, you know, certainly for breakfast or or would ask you the same question they've asked you every three to four minutes throughout the day, right? right. That's very common. It might be very common for somebody to not be able to recognize their family but if you asked them, do you have children, they could say yes and then name their kids. So mm. those kinds of things are very common. So the idea that she would meet these people and get all of their names and act as though she's never seen them and have no idea who they are, unlikely. A more likely thing would be to say like, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. And be like, my daughter is named so-and-so. Right, right. She goes to, you know, like, Vanderbilt. Oh, that's nice, or, yeah. Oh, that's so nice. That that's my daughter's name. Yeah. Do you know my daughter? Yeah. So, which is so much harder and right. so much sadder yeah. in that. And I have a I have a very deep memory of my grandmother who had uh, de- dementia, Alzheimer's. Uh, although, again, we did not have a full autopsy in a way that to officially confirm, to but confirm, had yeah. had dementia. And I remember my grandma looking at my dad and saying, "Where is your mother?" Mm. And hearing my dad say back to her that she was his mom. Yeah. And my grandma said, oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that, I, I was probably 12 years old. And I just remember being like, 
whoa, wow, what yeah. I just saw was dark and sad. And in this sort of like, oh, hi, it's nice to meet you. I'm very tired. That That's not really sort of a typical mm-hmm. thing. The, 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 the longevity of this is not really like holding out. It's, um, it's a weird, it, the, the idea that, that she would need full care makes sense. The idea that he would even want to stay in care with her because he's not able to be her full-time caregiver. But and he also is, has is, health problems, right? With he has yeah. health problems. I, they also name, like, you don't have to be here. Right. Which right. I also was glad to see. I was like, he... Yeah. His, his uh, activities of daily living, his independent, like, his... Uh, all of those things he's able to do for himself, right. including call for a doctor when he is feeling unwell. So, mm-hmm. like, those things that we would think about. But, yeah, so it, it's it's a little frustrating because it tells this horror story in the co- uh, of Alzheimer's without any, tr- without very much truth. Yeah, it was picking yes, and choosing, right? It's picking and choosing. And you're right. Like, she would, it, it makes sense. There's a beautiful video, if you if y'all look this up on, on YouTube, of a ballet dancer with, with very advanced dementia listening to Swan Lake. And she's mm-hmm. barely, she's, she's almost nonverbal. And she starts moving her arms and doing the choreography to Swan Lake because she knows this so, so, so deeply when she hears it. There's a lot. I mean, if y'all want to cry, just (laughs) watch. Uh, uh, Also, fun, interesting uh, data is reaction of people to dogs with uh, with uh, advanced dementia is like, ooh, it's. Yeah, you'll never stop crying. There's a beautiful (laughs) video of a man who's been nonverbal for years who starts talking to a dog because the dog is. I know. (laughs) I know. Um, so on that note, on that note, I I think what we can say is for this movie, you know, it's really, really, uh, uh, so romanticized that it's kind of toxic, non-realistic and, uh, damaging. I also think it makes people so much more fearful of Alzheimer's or dementia. If I can do one pitch as like a Mm -hmm. professional Mm -hmm. mental health provider is, if you or someone you know thinks they may be having memory problems, the best thing you can do is go and get them tested. Go through a neurologist and then to a neuropsychologist and say, hey, we'd just like to find out what level is your memory at now? Mm-hmm. You may not get a diagnosis. In fact, one of the better things you can do is honestly anybody after the age of about 50 is going and getting memory tested so that if one day you feel like you have slipping, you feel like you're, you're, you have cognitive decline, you can get tested again and you can compare those two time points Mm -hmm. so that you know, because you're, we all lose memory. We all lose different parts of cognitive flexibility. Yeah. There's normal aging, right? Yeah. Normal aging, normal decline. And all of these, these studies that people usually will go to are going to compare you to the normative group. So if you get tested at 50, it will compare you to 50 year olds. And if you get tested again at 65, it'll compare you to 65 year olds. Mm -hmm. So, if you or anybody you know is is having this, one of the best things you can do is first and foremost, just go and get tested. Because also, if the answer is something not great, the sooner somebody intervenes, there are meds now, there are different things, and the earlier the intervention, the better off folks will be. Yeah. So if anybody's listening to this, truly, I promise you, um, just go and get some, get some data yeah. about where you actually are. Because people are forgetful for all sorts of reasons. And it may be a medical thing. It may just be normal aging. You may have had a really super advanced memory before, and now it's sort of more in the normal range, and that's mm-hmm. weird and scary. But um, go go in and find out. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's the, that, and, and a lot of times as somebody who did that testing, the best news was to say to somebody like, I know your mom had Alzheimer's. I know you feel like you're forgetful. It sounds like what I'm hearing is you're just stressed and anxious. And mm-hmm. so your brain is busy and it's not encoding your memories. Right. Because when I, when your brain is not busy and you sit here and I ask you to remember things, you're able to remember a normal amount of things. Mm-hmm. And those moments could really relieve a lot of distress, which guess what? When you remove that distress, you actually are able to remember better. So um, some of the, the better things I got to do that year were were that. Well, y'all, we are at Real Psych on Instagram. Yes, follow us. Please follow us. Um, also, please review us subscribe to us right now we are a new little baby <laughs> podcast give us only five star reviews and if you have less than a five star review just dm it to us yeah and leave we us would feedback love on our instagram to hear we yeah. are growing and changing we would love to hear about movies you want us to do we would love to hear yes. about things that uh make sense don't make sense what you like what you don't however five star reviews and positive statements only right now um, and one day when we're such a deep, robust podcast, we'll encourage you to put those out on, in public. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we are at Real Psych. I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Witkin. Bye-bye. Bye.